Good evening. Welcome to Fort Lauderdale's Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. We're going to have Tyler come up for our joke now. My name is Tyler. I'm an alcoholic. I hope the joke is good tonight. Um, so I have the pleasure of reading the, the, the book... AA approved a rabbit walks into a bar um, from the grapevine, just in case you're wondering. So let's see. Without further ado, here we go. A drunk goes into a bar and asks for a shot of Jim Bean. The bartender pours it and pushes it aside and asks for another shot of Jim Bean. The bartender pours the second, second shot and the drunk drinks it. The bartender says... I watched what you did, and I don't understand why you pushed the first drink away and drank the second one. The drunk said, well, I've been going to those AA meetings, and they said, whatever you do, don't take that first drink. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight in a minute. We're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everyone's ready, we're going to begin the meditation. Thank you. 
Please join me in saying the foglight prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a foglight so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out of which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Helen to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience, so it's important to know what it is. Hi, my name is Helen. I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality personality changes sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular, spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experience are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in, this, in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify that their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious member call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problem in the light of our experience, can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, 
and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or just set, turn them off. Um, I'd like to welcome up Joe Bear for our seventh session tonight. So thank you, Joe. Thank you, Tyler. Hi, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Joe. Great to be here. Um, we have been... We're in our seventh week, right? Yeah. Mike, if you wouldn't mind, could you put that resentment template up there again? Thanks. Just going to touch on it. Um, so everybody knows how it works, right? I mean, we read it. Most, most uh, meetings read it uh, before every meeting. And, um, you know, I used, to, I used to listen to that, and I used to think, well, God, if I could just memorize that, you know, maybe I'd, maybe I'd get this thing. I mean, I was reaching. And uh, most of you know, if you've been coming to this for the last few weeks, um, know that my story was one of um, trying to approach this thing where, you know, I, just, I looked at the first step and on the window shade in, in just about every meeting hall, and it said, if, it said to me, if you, you know, if you just didn't drink, you could manage your life, right? I mean, if you just didn't drink, you could manage your life. And uh, I didn't, I, I, you know, of course, I was very ignorant and to most things, pretending to know everything. But um, that's what I pursued. That's how I pursued this thing for, for almost two decades and almost died trying to get it that way. You know, I thought if I could just stop drinking and uh, get a little time out and get a little food in my stomach and put a little weight on, get the red, red flush out of, my, out of my skin and my eyes and, and get that little jobby job, get a little money in my pocket, and maybe get that girlfriend that was smiling at me in that meeting for some reason. Life would be great, right? And, but, but I never got past the first step. It just was, you know, just don't drink, go to meetings. I heard that a lot. And um, I tried that a lot. It never worked for me. I mean, it worked for a little bit. The <clears throat> problem was, is I was going to meetings, a lot of them, because usually I was, you know, in a halfway house, in a, in a, in a structured environment or a non-structured environment. And uh, that was, the, that was the, the method that they, they had us do. Just don't drink and go to meetings and pay your rent. And, um, I, it, you know, it made sense to me. That if you could do that, that, wow, it's not that difficult. And, uh, but it never worked for me. And, and the reason was is because I was going in and out of treatment, in and out of detox, detox, retox, detox, retox. I was in that, that rodeo for a long time. And, um, you know, the day would come where the internal condition that I've spoken about in here, that incredible impending doom, the anxiety and the fear and bewilderment, the despair, just feeling like an utter failure and an utter loser when it came to really proving to my family and proving to the people about me that I could do this thing and I would just come in and I would go out. and It was, it was just a nightmare. 
and um, breaking hearts left and right. And You know, I, I really started to believe I was that loser and that failure. And uh, I was certain everybody else knew it about me. And um, so, I mean, eventually get to the point where you go, well, this, this methodology is not working. This approach isn't working. And every time I came into AA, I would try the same method, same approach, same strategy, same playbook called Joe Bear's Playbook for Success in Life and fail. And uh, that's horrible. That's a horrible way to live, man. You know, if anybody in here is doing that or anybody in here has been in that struggle, you know what I'm talking about. You know, Helen read their spiritual experience, and it's like the constant theme of spiritual awakening, spiritual experience in the appendix is changed. They say it, I don't know, probably 20 times. You know, this this sudden change, this, this change that must overcome us. And listen, I never knew how to change. I only knew how to stay the same, right? I mean, most people do when they are doing life out there, whether you're a drug addict, alcoholic, or a normal person, or an un, an un, uh, a non-alcoholic, or a non-drug addict, just a regular human being. You know, we only know what we know. We, we, we don't know what we don't know. Right? And if change requires something that we don't know and have to implement it into our life, how do you do that by yourself? And I had a very wise sponsor at the time. His name was John Williams. He's dead now. He's the one of the uh, four Paul Revere group that started the big book seminar way back when, right? And uh, he said, you know, I, I won't tell you this. And, you know, it probably wouldn't work if it's coming from another drunk or even another human being. But Albert Einstein, you know, I mean, you've heard of him. Well, of course, he's one of the most brilliant minds on the face of the planet. He says, well, the... Albert Einstein said that a problem cannot be solved by the same mind that created the problem, Joe. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> kind of like Roland Hazard felt like the gates of hell. You know, how do you do that? How do you change? How do you, how do you make up to, to do that? Well, it all requires being teachable. And there's only one thing that booze and drugs must do, and that's beat us into a state of complete and utter... Teachability, right? You know, it's got to beat us. It's got to beat us damn near to death. God had to beat me almost to death in order for me to say, "Please, somebody got to tell me what to do." I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do on a daily basis. I don't even know how to live life effectively. My whole experience—I had evidence, right? I mean, John pointed my evidence out. He says, "You got a track record, pal. Let's just take a look at what you've been able to do with all your ability, talent, and skills in the realm of anything." What do you got to show for it, Joe? You know, what do you say to that? When you have nothing but, you've destroyed your family, you've destroyed everybody. You know, it's been like, it's like it describes in the the book that you're like this alcohol, this tornado roaring through the lives of others. Sweet relationships are dead. Family's uprooted. Lone wolf, that's who I was. So, How does somebody that is so entrenched in doing life as he thinks he must do because he's so prideful, he can't ask another another human being to teach him or show him 
or put him on a path to success that would involve him doing different things, how does somebody that's so stuck on the way he thinks it is going to be able to do that? How do you reach out? How do you get that vulnerable? I don't want anybody to know I'm weak. You were my God. I was vying for your affection, your approval, your applause, your recognition, your validation, everything. You had the power to actually kill me. You could either make me feel like a million bucks and buy my act or tell me the truth and shatter me. How does that guy change? Change, change, change. Well, you got to, John says, you got to figure out, well, you got to identify what's broken, Joe. And listen, this whole thing we've been talking about, you know, uh, the problem, the death sentence, if I can't stop and I can't stay stopped, I'm doomed. I'm doomed to die an alcoholic, active alcoholic death. Question isn't how to stop. We've all stopped. <laughs> John used to say, you want to stop? You think that's the deal? Go slap a cop. You'll stop for about six months. <clears throat> right? Kirk, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't about stopping. And it isn't for any of us. It's about staying stopped. Being relieved of our alcoholism. Being, get, becoming recovered. Recovering from a hopeless condition of mind and body. Being able to stay stopped. That's the, that's the evidence, right? Well, I certainly couldn't do it from my brilliant mind that was on its way to going soft and mushy and wet. So I had to get the, I had to get the doo-doo beaten out of me time after time after time, thinking it'll be different this time. Nobody will know. I'll just do a little of that. I won't touch that. My sponsor said, this is what's called consulting with the idiot. One half of Joe was selling, the other half was buying, and I was just in la-la. Alternate reality. Complete delusional state. And how it works, it says we come to three pertinent ideas. Chapter th- the, 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 the chapters about alcoholism, the doctor's opinion, one through three. One, two, three. The chapter to the agnostic and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. Pertinent. Pertinent ideas. A, that we're alcoholic and could manage our own lives. A, that I'm alcoholic and know exactly what that means. I know that I got the allergy to the body and the obsession of the mind. I know that I can't stop when I put it in. I can't stay stopped when I'm not drinking. My mind tells me that I must have a drink because of that internal condition that I never changed. (laughs) I mean, I'm walking around in AA with untreated alcoholism and an alcoholic mind. Just, uh, hey, how you doing? Social butterfly. You know, I was like, hey, how you been? How you doing, Joe? I'm great. And be dying inside. Just a complete imposter. Please don't, please don't tell me the truth. Don't tell me what you see. Don't tell me what you really think. It would kill me. Don't tell me I'm a fraud and a phony and a liar and a manipulator and a con man. Don't tell me the truth. That was it. So you had that power because I gave you that power. I just didn't know it wasn't about me and you. It was never about me and you. 
It's never about us and them. It's only been about me and him. The whole time. (laughs) So when when I got hooked up with this vertical approach, I'm going, well, I haven't done this before. Everything about this program, people, is outside the box of our comfort zone. We like to stay in our comfort zone. We're creatures of habit. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be challenged. I don't like change. I didn't like truth in the beginning because it was completely contrary to where I was living in this delusional lie in my head. What I thought I knew. John told me, he says, you don't come to AA to find out what you, don't, what you do know. You don't come here to tell me, I don't care what you know, Joe. It's of no value to me, Joe. <laughs> I needed somebody like that in my life. He says, you come to me to find out what you don't know. And this is the playbook. Yours must be burnt to the ground via booze and drugs. And when you start this thing, you don't adulterate it with that playbook. You don't take something old, try to mix it with something new, and get something new. You'll get something, but it won't be new. It'll be just a variation of the old. And you don't need me for that, Joe. And you don't need AA for that either. So when you go to meetings, you sit down, shut up, and listen. I couldn't learn anything while I was talking. I just wanted to impress you. I just wanted you to make me feel like I was something. And not a nobody. It says in 12 and 12 that all of our, all of our, it says, we come to a point where all of our scorecards read zero. And one more count will put us out of the game forever. So A, that I'm alcoholic. I have the allergy, I have the obsession, I have the death sentence. That my life, a.k.a. also known as, that my thinking has become broken, unmanageable. It's not producing good thought. You see, I didn't know the sequence. I didn't know. I thought feelings and emotions came first, and they determined what I would do or how I would think. No, I had it backwards. The sequence is that every result I had in my life had an ancestor. It was a thought. And if my thoughts stayed the same, my, my results had to be the same. They, they may have varied a little bit from circumstance to circumstance, but they were always dark and painful. And I didn't know my feelings and my emotions came from my thoughts. That I had to think about something that would make me feel something. That would give me an emotion of something. And that would motivate me to take an action. And the action got me a result. And John says, how do you like your results so far? How could anybody say I loved it? I had to drink. Drinking was my solution. It was my medication for this thing, this diabolical conflict and chaos that was going on inside of me. This thing that was rotting me from the inside out. The shame. Embarrassment. Feeling lower than whale doo-doo. That always... John said, always will lead 
to the lie, the obsession. An obsession is nothing more than a thought or group of thought that I have in my mind that overcomes all other thought to the contrary, all other results to the contrary, all other evidence to the contrary, that only when I'm thinking about what booze will do for me, I can't think about what it did to me. I just can't. None of us could. Or we wouldn't take a drink. I'm going to go to jail. Here you go. I'm going to lose my children. Here you go. No. It'll be different this time. It didn't stand what stood in the balance. Nobody went out in single-handed combat, especially me. It didn't stand... it didn't, it didn't matter whether it was our children. It didn't matter whether it was our family. It didn't matter whether it was our money. It didn't matter whether it was our job. It didn't matter whether it was life in prison. If I go, I do it again. It'll be different this time. I had to medicate that beast inside me no matter what I stood to lose. I couldn't stand me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real quandary to be in when you can't stand you and you can't overcome you. So I needed a teacher, and um, I needed to follow these directions. So I'm clear about all the information that leads me to standing on my two feet, in my skin, and declaring that I am truly an alcoholic, and that my thinking is broken, or that my life is unmanageable. Evidence. And B, that no human power could relieve me of that alcoholism. Or, same thing, No human power could keep me stopped. A lot of times they drove me deep. A lot of times they helped me get stopped. A lot of times cops helped me get stopped. Halfway houses were able to to facilitate helping me get stopped, staying stopped for a little while, but not a one. No, no, No human power, no human being on earth, no human power, no institution staffed by human power could keep me stopped. The day would come when that internal thing was going so wild, I couldn't stand in another second to either blow my brains out or give me a drink. I, have to, I, have to, I, can't, I, can't, I can't live with me. I couldn't live with me. And that see, God couldn't would if he were sought. And I had to forget about what I knew about that. I had to forget about how I, what I knew that I was taught on how to seek that power source or how to acquire that, that power source. Whether it be the, 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 the attendance of church or whatever it was or you know, how many times I'd go or how many, how many times I'd be on my knees and, and beg. It's like, <clears throat> I never sought a relationship. I was always expecting something for nothing. You know, I was always on that WSFN network. John used to call it a frequency on the radio that I was addicted to. WSFN. Wanting something for nothing. That was me. Let me just give you the minimum input and give me the maximum return. You selfish, self-centered idiot, Joe. I think about myself today as that person, and I never had a prayer. I never, I never could get out of my own way. And I couldn't step aside to let somebody else tell me how to. 
That's a terrible place to be. Vulnerable. What people see, they'll think I'm weak. They'll think I'm a loser. <laughs> I was, but I wasn't going to tell you that. The mask I wore, the game I played, the imposter I was being, would have you believe I had it all together. And life was just crumbling down around me. So God couldn't, what if he were sought? When we get to that point, it's pretty crystal clear that there's some monumental things that are going to happen. When is I going to have to decide? I know the problem. Am I going to stay in the problem? I know the solution is power. Am I going to seek the solution in the formula they have written out? Or am I going to go back and try to recapture or re-rely on the very thing that I, that I did that couldn't keep me stopped? Listen, it doesn't matter what your relationship with God is when you get here. If you couldn't stay stopped, it's insufficient. <clears throat> we're dying of alcoholism here. It's not like we're, you know, it's not like, you know, this is something casual that I'm doing as a social experiment. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm going to die. My whole life hangs in the balance here. If I don't make some effective decisions here with a coach as my guide that's done this work. So as soon as I say, okay, I'm going to see, John says, are you ready? I said, yes, sir, I am. Then this is, this is a position we're going to take, that God's going to be your, your father. He's going to be the, the manager. He's going to be the guy. He's, you're going to get out of his throne, Joe, and put him in his rightful place, right there at the top. And nothing that you have going on in your life is going to be coexisting with him. I used to have all my priorities like they were all at the top. Oh, yeah, he's up there too somewhere. But if I don't do this, I'm, you know, it's, it's like I had everything was screwed up. I had to be dying in order to make this decision for me. <clears throat> so when I made that decision, I said a prayer with John. God, I offer myself to thee as best as I could from my heart. I was still swimming around cerebrally up there in the big, you know, in the big vacant mass between my ears. But I really wanted something different. I hated my guts. I couldn't do it another day. I hated me. I hated being me. So I was earnest and I was sincere in the presence of God with John, my sponsor, on his knees with me. When I said, God, I offer myself to thee. Build and do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self, selfishness, self-centeredness. Self-absorption, self-consciousness. Just so I can do your will, Father. Take away my difficulties, my my greed, my pride, my lust, my ego, my pride, sloth, gluttony, criticism, control, inconsideration. Please, Father, do this. That only victory over those things on a daily basis would I be of help to anybody on earth. I couldn't be the same anymore. 
And I was relying totally on John to teach me how not to be. And at the bottom of that page, it says, next. Next, we launched, set forth with velocity. That doesn't mean hanging around after a decision. He says, Joe, he says, if you decide to go to California next week, and you're telling everybody, hey, I'm going to California. And three weeks later, we get together again and, hey, did you go? How was California? I didn't go. Nice intention, Joe. But it was never a decision. A decision can only be validated with action. I must do something based on the decision I take or it's nothing. It's something I can use as an excuse to say, well, I tried. I meant to. And God, you know I was demanding credit for every intention I ever had. It was involved in every story and every excuse I ever told. I meant to. I tried. How long have you been on that step three? Oh, I don't know, a couple of months. What is wrong with you, Joe? Are you committed or are you not committed? Are you in or you're out? That was John's always favorite. Are you in or you're out? Because if you're in, when you decide, you're writing an inventory. That's, that's just the way it is. It says next, we launched into a course of vigorous action. The first step, which is a personal house cleaning, we did that. This is the template for the resentments. This is what the guide looks like. This is the, now listen, there's other guides. But the columns that you see, I'm resentful at the cause, what part of self was threatened or hurt? Where was I to blame? And that would include, there's, so there you got one, two, three. This, this here, if you all can see me over here, th- this central, th- those, those, um, Instincts that self esteem, pride, emotional security, da 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 da, over to inconsideration. Oh, I'm sorry, to selfish. If you stop there, to the sex relations, the self esteem, the pride, the emotional security, the pocketbook, financial, um, my ambitions, my personal relations, and my sex relations, those are where my instincts to live normally and happy in, in this life were granted to be and blessed to me and gifted to me by my creator to live happily and normally and reasonably comfortable. Problem is, is I way overdid those babies. They were the final end and aim of life for me. More, more, more. And I had to go through you to get it. So I became quite the gamer. And then, of course, where was I to blame? What did I do to set the ball rolling? I broke the law. I stole from people. The story's got to stop here. I mean, I go from a, from a place of victimhood in the first three columns. What did they do to me? Who was it? What did they do to make me angry? And then the last couple, Mike's got them on this template that where you see selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, and inconsiderate. Those are the defects of character. Those are the core. Those are the, those are the ones from which the spider web into the seven deadlies, pride, lust, you know, all, all those other things, they come from those. But the main one is fear. Fear can be classified into two categories. Either I'm going to 
Either I'm scared I'm going to lose something I have. Think about that for a second. So what am I fearing? What am I always worried about? I'm going to lose something I have. Could be my reputation. Could be my companion. Could be my money. Could be my house. Could be my reputation. Could be my popularity. It could be anything. But if I'm worried I'm going to not get something that, or I'm going to lose something I already have, what am I doing? I'm posturing at all times to hang on to it. So if I'm, if I'm worried about that, losing something I already have, the other one must be that I'm not going to get something that I want. That's where fear stems from. Those two, categories, those two things. I'm not going to get something I want, or I'm going to lose something I already have. So we end up in coveting. We end up in envy. We end up in, oh, it just goes on and on. So I have to look at this stuff. This is where I realize and reveal my brokenness. Because if I'm always do, if I'm always setting the relationship up, either from the beginning or into the, into, into the relationship or even midstream, and I start depending on that person for something that I shouldn't be depending on them for, or relying on something that I shouldn't be relying on them for, that I perhaps should be relying upon God for, and my own two feet, and my own abilities, to be secure in my own person, and not have to depend on somebody else. If I'm, if I'm doing that to somebody, bad things are going to happen. The relationship's going to end up in turmoil. It's going to end up in struggle. And it's going to end up in ruin for a real alcoholic like me. Because there's going to come a day where they're going to piss me off. And that's all I'm going to be able to remember. I'm not going to remember any of the good times. I'm not going to remember all the things that we did together in our relationship. Whether it was my mother, my father, my sisters, my brother. Or anybody else for that matter. All I can remember is that final act. And they say I go into this thing where I feel it over and over and over. This thing called a resentment. Re, from a Latin word, re-sentiri. Re, to feel again. And sentiri, to feel. So I'm feeling it over and over. Joe and Charlie in the big book seminar, in the original big book seminars, used to talk about the instant instant replay machine. Remember that back? uh, Joe Theismann was the first quarterback I ever saw got... You know, a compound fracture in his leg on a live play. I don't even know what year that was. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was the first year they came out with this thing called instant replay. Well, they didn't just have instant replay. They played it from every single angle. And you look at it, you're, oh, it just, it was disgusting. Watching the bone pop out. And it was in color. Vivid. And the worst thing was that this instant replay had a little button called slow-mo. And they would go over it and over it and in slow-mo. What happens when somebody pisses me off or makes me angry or threatens me? I go into the instant replay machine. I can't get them out of my mind to save my life. They're, they're literally living in my mind. And I'm playing it over and over and over and in slow motion and graphic detail. And the more I play it over, the more wrong they become and the less wrong I am. And I get to the end of the day and I get ready to go to bed and I'm exhausted. This person has 
owned me. I have been in a prison cell. And by the time I get to my bed, they're completely wrong. And I didn't do anything wrong. Imagine that. I had no responsibility in this thing. It was just all that. Now listen, mind you, a day before in that relationship, back to the day it was born, is not even in my mind. It's just that moment. And I go to bed, and I just keep thinking and playing it over and over and over. Finally, I pass out and go to sleep. And you know what I do in the next morning? I reach over and I hit that switch, but it's not for the replay machine. It's for the retribution machine. And I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I am going to get revenge. I am going to make this happen. And I start plotting. Think of what we do to ourselves, people. Because that person is just going on living their life. And I am in total destruct mode. This happens in every relationship. I'm an alcoholic. Anybody that says they don't have no resemblance, ah, oh, they're on water under the bridge. They're lying to themselves. So there's aids for this. We have those. Mike has them. I have them. Anybody that's venturing into this, when they, if they've made a decision and they haven't begun this yet, what are you waiting for? It's only your life. It's like this is how we identify what in me started the ball rolling. What decisions did I make based on self? Self-absorption, self-acquirement, self, you know, whatever it was. Self, whatever, whatever would benefit me out of this relationship. What decisions did I make in that relationship that would benefit me that later placed me in a position to be hurt? And the resentment is the hurt. So I can have a resentment list. We also have a harms list. You don't have to put that up. But we have a harms list. It says it in here. That person could be on the resentment list. I could be really angry at them for doing what they did. And they can be on the harms list. Yeah. For what I did to them. Right? They could also be on the sex list. Hmm, how about that? Right? So we look at our, we look at our resentments. We analyze them with the sponsor. With the, and listen, if we don't do this... We'll continue, to, we'll continue to wreak havoc. And they say resentment's the number one killer. So if I continue to have resentment with anybody, they own me. Well, John, used to say, John would tell me, he said, look, if you're, not, if you're wondering if that individual, whether it be that lawyer, whether it be that public pretender, whether, I mean, defender, uh, God help me if there's any public defenders in here. I keep calling you a pretender. No. Halfway house owners, halfway house managers, girlfriends, boyfriends, mom, dad, sisters, brothers. It can add infinitum, right? Add infinitum, right? <clears throat> if I was going to New York City on a sightseeing trip, just for the heck of it, and I, get, I say, you know, I ask somebody, well, what's the best vantage point in New York City? They said, well, go up to the Eiffel Tower, go all the way to the top, man. You go out there and you look around. They got, little, they got big binoculars up there. And you can see for miles. But what they didn't tell me is that the ride up there is quite lengthy. Nobody likes being on an elevator with other people. Right? I mean, it's just awkward. How you doing? All right. I don't know. Until you kind of turn away and everybody's looking at something. 
and like you're riding on an elevator. Like no socialism, no social contact, no social conversation, nothing. Well, what would happen? You know those elevators that got the front doors and they also have the back doors for a, the other side of the lobby, right? And they, they open and they close. What if, you, if it opened and you just happened to walk on that elevator to go to the top, which is a couple of minutes, captive. And before you start to ascend, the back door opens and that person walks on that elevator. What's that conversation? What's that encounter going to be like? Where you still have a resentment for that person. Perhaps they stole money from you and never offered to pay it back. Perhaps they gossip out, gossiped about you at work and got you fired so that for their own uh, uh, trying to climb the ladder. What if somebody said something to your girlfriend because they were trying to beat you out of your girlfriend and they wanted to, they wanted to you know what I mean? It's like, what if they slept with your wife or your husband? And it was never rectified, but you thought you'd just sweep it under the bridge. Well, I dealt with that. How? How do you deal with something by yourself and not the person that was... In the relationship. And that door closes and you're up for a ride and it's quiet and it's like, is it going to be a loving, empowering, transparent, authentic, wonderful conversation? Or is it going to be terribly, terribly uncomfortable where all that stuff, that, that encounter, that thing that broke that relationship to smithereens starts coming back and starts percolating inside. Put them on the list. Got to put them on the list. Her on the list. Them on the list. Right? So we get this whole thing done. We do the same thing with fears. We list our fears. We ask ourselves why we had them. Well, I'm feared that I'm going to relapse. Well, why would you not have a fear of relapse, if Joe, if that's all you ever did? You see, I was never able to stay stopped. Except for maybe a few brief moments, like a couple months or six months or maybe even nine months. But I was never, never able to stay stopped because it was just temporary sobriety because I wasn't changing. I didn't do anything to rectify the problem. The internal condition always had me make that lie up. Right? So, the most important thing is that I can go to the 12 and 12. They have a, they have a, a good explanation of the instincts of character and why God gave them to us the proper reason for sex, the proper reason for, you know, financial, be able to support myself, to be able to, you know, construct shelter and live in a dwelling where it's, you know, safe from the elements. The, you know, I, I mean, God made us in a way where we can be reasonably comfortable and successful in this world. My problem was, is I took those instincts to be the final aim and end of, final end and aim of life. It was all about satisfying them, and I had to go through you to get them. So, if we don't identify, I mean, if I don't identify this stuff, I'm certain to repeat it. I don't know what I don't know. If I, don't, if I can't understand why I'm creating this whole life of destruction for myself, I'm going to continue to do that. And if I continue to do that, I'm going to drink again. And for me to drink is for me to die or at least wish for death. Death was way way more attractive to me than living was when I got here. But notice what it says if we've done our four-step 
thoroughly, as best we could, with sincerity and earnestness and devotion and commitment. Not string it out for six months. Not write a life story. Do it just like this. Follow the instructions in the book, because every column is identified in this book. Right? They say this. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. We've listed and analyzed our resentments. We have list we have begun and think about this. I don't know about anybody else, but when I got here, this was no part of my consciousness, what they're about to talk about here. It was, it was not even I never had a thought about it. Just never had a thought about it. it says we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Never give a damn about that? No. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. What? I was busy blaming you. You were the problem. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men. Are you kidding me? That's not me. It certainly wasn't who I had become. It says, goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. No way. For we look on them as sick people. If that's not a paradigm shift, I don't know what is. That's not, if that's not change, I don't know what is. So just by doing this, a major change begins to happen. They call it a personality change. My whole person, everything shifts. My, my perception of my life starts to completely change. Like, oh my God. When I got done with this, it wasn't like, it was like, oh my God. Of of course my life is screwed up. How could my life not be screwed up and their lives be screwed up because of who I was being? Of what I was in, of, of, of where I was living, where I was parked in my mind. The motives I had. Everything I did was with motive. Everything. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. Ooh, there's a reference to eight and nine. So they're leading, they're leading us here, right? So I do this inventory, and I'm for the first time in my life, I get to see who you got when I showed up on the scene. I was horrified, but I was relieved. I was relieved, and I'll tell you why. It says this. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. My faith in that, at that moment, at that period of time, was in John, my sponsor. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off. So it's been self-will all along. The very gift he gave us to make us unique and individual masterpieces all to our own person is the very thing that has all but cut me to ribbons. And I might add, caused all the collateral damage in my wake. It says, if you've already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, we're not talking about good stuff here. Good stuff didn't lead to me being sick and dying. The ego and the pride, the sloth and the greed, the lust and the coveting and the envy, all of that led me to almost wanting to take my life. Not good stuff. 
You could, listen, I've heard people say, well, we talk about good things too. No, we don't. No, we don't. Doesn't say that in here. That's that BB book, not the AA book. We're doing an AA book here because that's a solution that has been proven effective. BB is for, I don't know, I've I've never been to a BB meeting, but they're out there, I think. But it says this. And an inventory of your grosser handicaps, in other words, your liabilities, not your assets. We all have them. It says you've made a good beginning. Damn. What? Beginning? What do you mean? I feel like I've been doing a little something more than just beginning here. No, that's that's what it says. Because with the four-step, I have... Oh, took it away. Where'd it go? You cut me off, pal? Okay. So if I did my four-step inventory, look here. Don't bury it, in the, don't bury it in, the, in, the, in the dirt. Don't burn it in a fire. Don't put it in a bottle and let it float out, whatever. It's the template. It's the template for a new life. In the first column, I have my list for eight and nine. Hmm. In the middle column, I have everything that I need. To do six and seven, which includes the selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, frightened, and consideration. I have this column to incorporate in six and seven so that I never have to go back and make amends. Or if I do, I have step 10 for that. So I have a four-step inventory that I need for five, of course. I'm going to do the confession next. I'm going to do the deep dive next. I'm going to look at the harm and the hurt next. But I have everything I need for five, six, seven, eight, nine. How about that? It ain't going to work if you go out and throw it in the ocean or burn it. Because that person that I identified on that form had to die. The person I was being had to just pass away. You know, and little did I know when I begged God to just let me come, let, let, just take, my, take me out. I wanted to die when I got here. Little did I know I was going to be given a program that would effectively, as I revealed the person that I needed to have pass away at the same time it was promising new life. Wow. Man. So next, we do a step five. There's no, in, there's, no in, there's no time in between. When we've written this inventory, we're ready for a long talk. The sponsor says it, says it right here. It says, uh, this is chapter six. It says, it's entitled, Into Thinking. No, wait a minute. It's into action. Right? So now, I get with my sponsor in the presence of God. He leads me in that, in that, in that onset. We say a prayer. And we begin. And before, when I did my, my inventory, I was doing column by column by column. I wasn't working across because the mind can't think of two things, two subject matters at the same time effectively. 
That's why they have us. That's why they have periods and, and things in here. We made our list, period. We asked what they did to us, period. So it's down the list, down the list, down the list. When I go to the next column, it's up to the top. But when I get to the fifth step, I go across. And a deep dive is done. And a great reveal is the product. Right? I see all the things within me that must be changed. I see all the manipulation tools and tactics that I used. The calculations that I had with people. I consider... The, I consider it's not like... Why is my life so screwed up? Have you ever asked yourself that question before you got, why is my life so screwed up? Why is it always like all that? And you start to say, my God, how can my life not be screwed up? Given how I was showing up, right? So I'm ready to venture into six and seven. And the big book is two short paragraphs. It says, and by the way, I'll give you the promises of the, uh, the confession, the, the, uh, the fifth step. It says, we pocket our pride and go to it, eliminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. We go to the exact nature of the wrong. It wasn't the end result. It wasn't the fact that I stole my mother's heirloom wedding ring that she had been given by her grandmother, which was a couple hundred years old, and smoked crap with it. If I'd have gone and just apologized for that, it would have never had any effect. I had to be prepared for eight and nine. So when I went to them, I went there with my heart. And I discussed where I was wrong. And I discussed not only the harm, but the hurt, the violation the breach of trust, the endless nights that she slept in her bed wondering if her son was dead or alive. That stuff. And God willing, I'd never do it again. Sincerity, earnestness, because I really wanted her forgiveness, but I always left it like this. I know you can't forgive me right now. I wouldn't want you to, and I don't expect you to. Because I wouldn't forgive me. But hopefully in your heart you'll be able to. But something had to happen in between the the fifth step and the eighth and ninth step. There had to be a little trial. There had to be a participation period in my willingness and my devotion and my commitment to change the behavior which was so filthy. I had to stop lying. I had to be truthful. I had to be committed. I had to show up on time. I had to start changing things about me that were uncomfortable, completely outside my box of comfort. Like integrity was out there. Like honor was out there. Like responsibility was out there. Accountability was out there. Discipline was out there. Commitment was outside. It was all outside my box. But with John coaching me, he held me to account. And we discussed it every day. Did you show up on time today? Did you keep your word today? If you want integrity, Joe, you got to keep your word because your word's the only thing you have in life. Did you keep your agreements today? 
Did you tone down your language today? Whatever it was that I would do a decision, third step decision to work on whatever specific thing. It wasn't a bunch of stuff. It wasn't all that stuff. It was like, I'm just going to stop the yep bomb today. And I'm going to tell everybody in my inner circle that if they hear me say that, they call me out. So I had a support group standing for me. I wanted a vision of becoming a man that I hoped God had created. And I'm going to give you guys permission to call me on my crap. And this is the vision I have. This is who I hope to become. And they did. Because they knew if, I, if they did that for me, we'd do it for them. So we were standing for each other to live. And not standing for each other to die. Or be the same. And when that little month or month and a half that we were doing that, committed to it, John says, you're ready to go take the amends. Well, which one do I start with? The one you hate. The one you fear the most. Because the rest will be gravy. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was smoother than a, you know. Listen, when you really have your heart in this thing, it's all a display to God that I really mean what I say. When I say, Lord, I want you to have all of me, good and bad. Please remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellow man. Please remove these defects of character. I can't do them on my own. I need your help. Two minutes, Mike. Two minutes? So what would happen in this month or two-month period that I was honing in on six and seven being willing to give up the man who I had become and becoming the man that I could be by putting that into action, I had to participate. And I had to have other people supporting me with this. Especially John. He was the main guy, right? Today I have others. But in the first phase, you go out and you're really, I mean, I, like I said, I was like, I was really committed to this thing. But I'd still commit the damn thing, the acts. I'd still lay a few F-bombs out there. I'd be rude to people. I'd be, you know, inconsiderate. I'd cut them off track, whatever. And I would let it sit for a few days because I really you know, had that pride. You know, I didn't want to be real too vulnerable. And like, that's scary. That's like jumping out there on the skinny branches, you know, like, hey, anybody down there <laughs> or anybody up there? God said, let go of the branches, my son. Well, is anybody else up there? Right? It's scary. But the pain becomes so great from committing the act that you're so committed to changing that you step to the person to make amends and say, look, man, I was wrong. I really... And all of a sudden, the whole, everything's gone. It's all gone. All the negative energy, all the bad stuff, it's just gone. The second phase is where you do it anyway. You're still, in, you're still who you always were. I mean, I was, but I didn't wait 24 hours. I didn't wait 48 hours. I did it like within as soon as I could because I needed the relief. I couldn't carry that burden anymore. I couldn't carry that weight. I couldn't carry it. It started, it started to be the hammer that I was, you know, I was trying to, it was like, you know, I was always that guy that wanted everybody else to drink the poison. I, want, that I was going to drink the poison I wanted everybody else to die from, right? So I'm out there doing this thing, but the time gap is shorter. And then in the third phase, amazing things started to happen. 
and John knew this was time to set me on an amends course, is that I would go out, I would be prayed up, prepared. I had made my third step decision to work on one or two specific defects of character that day. I told John who they were, and I told you know, people that I knew what they were, so they were all aware of what I was working on that day. And I go out, and, and this is how God works. I couldn't have done this on my own. But when I went to do it, when I went to offend, when I went to embellish, when I went to be in control or be critical, I would pause. Take a deep breath as I was taught. And I wouldn't commit the act. I was so busy all my life, continually filling up nothing but garbage in this internal place called a soul that I completely blocked myself off from the sunlight of the Spirit. I had just done a fist step. Why do I want to put more stuff in there? So we get rid of them promptly without regret. Right? We step to the people that we offend and we make amends. Not I'm sorry. My God, they're nauseated at that statement. They know I'm lying when I say I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, listen, I was wrong for this particular behavior. And God will, and I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. And then I go and start making amends, and we'll talk more about that next week. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. Let's have a round of applause again for our speaker, please. Uh, We're going to have Joey up here for our secretary report. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name's Joey. I'm your alcoholic secretary. Hey. And and, uh, keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions... We have some members passing some baskets around. Um, also, QR code in the back. Um, if if you all don't have a dollar, still want to contribute, it goes to our Venmo account, our group's Venmo account. Um, as they're doing this, I've asked the great Jenny to come read the, the recovered statement. Um, we read this to explain why many people in this group identifies recovered versus recovering. What does it all mean? And Jenny is going to come up and and, uh, explain it. So please welcome her. Thank you. Conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Jenny. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried... 50% 50% got sobered once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA 
showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. All right. Um, any any uh, people out there need a sponsor this time? No? All right. Cool. Oh, we're going. Yep. Anyone uh, recovered alcoholics? Beautiful. Anyone too shy? Please see one of the people their hands are raised after. Uh, announcements. Uh, beasts. Or, sorry, intergroup. Ah, can't read. Intergroup is where you buy AA-related AA-related literature, medallions, also responsible for creating the where and when, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and pay them a visit. BCIC, responsible for getting meetings into places where people like us can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly at the 12-step house. Any BCIC people here? That's okay. Pop out of the 12-step house and and, uh, see what it's about. Wednesday night study group. Um, it's an awesome meeting Wednesday night. Uh, Joe Bear will be there. It's, it's a good time. Volunteer opportunities. One in particular I got to tell you about. Uh, so uh, this Saturday, the 19th, uh, there is a Thanksgiving bastard drive. And if you guys want to have a tremendous time while supporting a fantastic call, a cause, sorry, 7 a.m., um, we'll just pack in and load in stuff and get in ready for uh, those in need uh, so they could have a good Thanksgiving. Where is it? Oh, great question. Uh, here, in the Newman Center. So, it's easy, you know. Uh, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Thank you. Yeah, we have other uh, other things going on as well that we do have flyers in the back. Um, Paulette, the great and powerful Paulette, is here starting after Joe in January, so we're very excited. She's from uh, Florida, <laughs> and um, Monday nights, uh, third floor of this building, uh, seven fifteen. Come early for some fellowships, cookies. We go through the book page by page. Just as Joe was describing through the playbook, and it's a really great time. My, also, my home group. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, we, in case you, you guys didn't know, we do have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. See one of the home group members if you want any of those. We do meet every Thursday. Joe will be gracing us for a couple more weeks. We're very excited. Um, 7.15, come early for some fellowship. Thank you all, and uh, see you next week. Thank you, Joey. Um, just a reminder, we actually, Thanksgiving is next week, so we will not be meeting. Um, we will not be having a meeting next week. Um, we do have tonight's sessions, as well as all speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday Big Book Study. Um, For those of you you who would wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle after the meeting. Um, We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, I think we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Just can't get it right It doesn't matter 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
eyes and people sing along and stomp their feet and raise their arms. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.